Ah, yes, now we are back on Comic Script. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And oh my God, it's the MCU's bleeding edge, Jeff Sloboda. How you doing, sir? Hey, what's going on? How you doing, Mark? Good. It's this, like your re- return since like what, May? Yeah. Was the last been, time I had you on? It's been a minute. Well, it's good to have you back, sir. Uh, I uh, Jeff was like, when, when are you going to bring me back? And I'm like, here's a list of shit. Pick one. And... <laughs> And uh, so Jeff and I went back and forth and we landed on Ghost World. We're going to compare the book to the movie tonight. And, um, you know, we uh, we couldn't do this show without the one and only uh, Alexis Haina, who has also been splitting her time between the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network and the MCU's Bleeding Edge. How you doing, Alexis? What can I say? Apparently unpopular and I have no idea how the hell that happened. You're in high demand. <laughs> So, Jeff, um, I, as I said, you, uh, I gave you that Wiki, Wikipedia page of comic books that were adapted into movies, and you looked it over. Um, so I guess Ghost World had been on your list of things you wanted to watch, and this was the opportunity? Yeah, because, I, you know, honestly, I never watched it back in the day. Mm-hmm. I just never, you know, back then, or I, I can't even remember. What was it, 2003, I think, movie came out? Um, yeah, something like that. 2001. Yeah. Okay, 2001. Yeah, um, I think at that point, it just wasn't that interesting to me to watch. I think maybe mm-hmm. I saw a little bit of it here and there on HBO and stuff like that, you know, but um, so and it, it just the premise of it seemed interesting. I knew about the comic book. Um, and uh, also, um, I like the fact that uh, Scarlett Johansson's in it. And I think that that was one of her first films. Um, like, uh, you know, and then um, uh, Thora Birch was really hot then like uh coming off of american beauty and everything like she was like valuable property like she's basically like the 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 main character of the film i think you know yes. and the comic and the comic right um mm-hmm. yeah um yeah so yeah i mean you know the, honestly mark that list you gave me had a lot of really good stuff on it how about you alexis how familiar were you with uh, the movie or the book before we opted to do this today a little bit. I hadn't read or seen the movie, but this came out when I was in 2001. I would have been a junior or senior in high school. Mm-hmm. And not going to lie, I was kind of the angsty on the outside kind of girl. So Thor Birch with the dark hair and the punky clothes, it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of it, of myself. So um, what really caught my attention looking back on it is that this was the 
uh, very first, the movie adaptation was the first time that uh, the Academy Awards had nominated a comic book for uh, Best Academy Award for uh, Best Adapted Screenplay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. really, this does have kind of a major input on that. I hate to say, looking back on it now, though, I think what makes me laugh the hardest, again, I hadn't read it, but there's a really good episode of The Simpsons where mm-hmm. Daniel Close and a couple of other very famous independent comic artists uh, guest star and there's a scene where lisa simpson comes up to close and says like i just want to tell you how much ghost world affected me and how i could identify so much of the girls and reading this comic now i'm like lisa why the hell were you reading this book you know what's funny about that is uh i said to my wife i'm like hey check and see if lily can do an rp test on ghost world because when i'm done with it i I bet she would like to read it and i read it today and i'm like well we'll have to reconsider that (laughs) this is uh not quite for a 10 year old yeah, I am. Um, I I knew the movie existed. It's so funny to see a young Scarlett Johansson in the uh, the movie. We're gonna talk about the book first, but I wanted to just throw this out there. I kept thinking about uh, Jeff. I kept thinking about Iron Man two, and how different she is. Her voice isn't nearly as raspy. Oh, you know? yeah. Did yeah. you hear the did you hear the bass in her voice? Back yeah, then? yeah. Wow. Like, like she 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 sounded like in in the movie in two thousand and one sounded like she had smoker's lung. I'm like Jesus Christ, she sounds so different. And, and it's she I was gonna say at- Scarlett Johansson has always had a fairly deep voice. She doesn't mm-hmm. have a very traditional flighty light voice. Right. And I think that's part of her charm is that she sounds she sounds like she has an old soul. Yeah, you know, I think it'd be a good way to put it. She she has a very unique delivery that really works for her. For God's sakes, Eddie, you're not guesting on tonight. Shut she up. She definitely grew into her voice by the time we got to Age of Ultron. I'm thinking about her her scene with uh with uh Bruce Banner, Mark Ruffalo, and you know how natural she sounds in that scene speaking. And then I listen to her give dialogue in Ghost World, and I'm like, that voice shouldn't come out of that body. It is the weirdest thing. Um, Apparently, they actually wanted Thora Birch originally to play her role, but when she read mm-hmm. the script, she asked to be switched over to the role of Enid. Yeah, so. she definitely makes a good Enid. Um, so yeah, I actually had never, uh, I wouldn't have known that this was an adapted comic book until I looked at that Wikipedia page. And so once um, once I saw there was an opportunity to look at it, I was like, oh, I, w- I want to check this out. I'm really into the indie comic as movie uh, thing. So I'm anxious to talk about this. So let's get into it. So we'll talk about the comic first. Uh, Ghost World is a graphic novel by David Close. It was serialized uh, in issues 11 through 18 of Close comic book series 8-Ball and was published in book form in 1997 by Fantagraphics Books, which you can actually still buy it from that publisher. It was a commercial and critical success and developed into a cult classic. This is a bizarre book, man. I'm really surprised this actually like caught fire the way that it did. But the, uh, the synopsis goes like this. Enid Coleslaw, which is a hilarious name, and Rebecca Doppelmeyer are two cynical, intelligent teenage girls who are best friends in the 1990s. They have recently graduated from high school and spend their days wandering around their unnamed town criticizing pop culture and the people they encounter while wondering what they are going to do with the rest of their lives. They are attracted to boys, but also unhappily entertain the possibility they might be lesbians. Their friendship is very close, but as the book goes on, tensions between them build, especially over Enid's plans to move away to college. They also have a quiet friend named Josh throughout the book. The two girls enjoy teasing him, but they also are attracted to him and eventually a romantic triangle forms. A section in the middle of the story features Close in a cameo as a cartoonist that Enid admires with whom she is infatuated, but finds creepy and a perv when she actually sees him. 
The comic ends with Enid and Rebecca separating while they speak half-heartedly of getting together sometime. The, the easy intimacy they once knew is long gone. Rebecca is now in a relationship with Josh and seems on her way to settling into a normal life. While Enid, having failed to get into college in as much... Uh, in as much of a misfit as ever and finally leaves town alone to start a new life. Jeff, I'll start with you. This was a bizarre read for me. What did you think? Well, it's not, it, I mean, it's really not my, my sweet spot at all. Like as far mm -hmm. as stuff to read, like it, it, it was a very uncomfortable at times for me to read it just because it was kind of boring to me. Uh, yeah. well, I will lie to you. Um, it's just not my kind of comic book, you know, like it's not right. my, my deal, but, um, um, basically I felt like, um, you know, it's a, uh, it's, it's definitely, um, I mean, I don't, you know, my daughter's 17 years old. I wouldn't care if she read this, you know what I mean? Like, I, sure. I don't, I don't think she would, um, to be honest with you, I don't think I'd be able to get her to do it, but, um, I felt like, um, I, I guess I can see how some people could, could get into this type mm -hmm. of, I, I get it. Uh, it's just not, again, it's not like in my purview of like, you know, what I would typically pick to, you know, to read. Um, I found it to be kind of int like, like weird, um, mm -hmm. you know, and like the, 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 of course, I know we're going to talk about it later, but the, the comic books and what goes on in the, the movie are very different. Um, yes. so, you know, like that, you know, kind of surprised me. Yeah. One of the things, um, I, my takeaway from this Alexis was this really had no plot. It kind of, we start with, you know, they're just now getting out of high school and it ends with Enid deciding she's just going to start a new life, which she talks about throughout the book, starting a new life elsewhere, just sort of reinventing herself in a new place. But in the middle, they're just kind of doing shit. And there's no, like, they don't get into any kind of real trouble. There's no hurdles. There's really no arc. There's, there's nothing... There's nothing that pushes the plot forward except for the passage of time. And, e you know, and even in the movie, which, you know, we'll get to shortly, at least, you know, we have the relationship between Steve Buscemi and Thora Birch, and that somewhat propels the plot forward. But here, like, I got to the end of the book, and it could have been another 100 pages. It could have been another 10 pages. It wouldn't have made a difference. Like, there's... The, there was no goal for either of these characters. It's like, here's a slice of these two cynical teenage girls' life and what they're doing in this in this town. And then that's it. And I was like, I get the author's perspective. I get what he was going after. And I certainly can see the appeal. Like, uh, I think in the Wikipedia page, this was compared to Catcher in the Rye. And I can certainly see the appeal to like teenagers uh, looking for that sort of thing. But as I said to Jeff, like, I had a rough time getting through this. I, it is kind of a weird book to read. One of the things I noticed is that Close has got a very interesting pacing with his book. A mm. lot of times there's no a week, there's no columns that say like a week later, two days later, meanwhile, or anything. It just sort of slam cuts from one person talking to a completely different scene with another person talking. And it takes you a second to go, oh, okay, we're, we're now following this person. Mm -hmm. You know, it'll talk, it'll have Enid mentioning something to her dad. And then all of a sudden it'll cut to Becky talking to Josh or something. Right. It actually, what it really reminded me of, and it wouldn't surprise me if the filmmakers of this movie took inspiration from this book, it kind of reminded me of Superbad. 
the idea of an evolution of two characters who mm -hmm. re two teenagers specifically who find who just kind of come to the realization that they are on different paths now that they are forced to confront adulthood um and i'm guessing that's what close is really going for the idea is that it's the evolution of these characters that moves the pacing along and i get that's not everybody's thing i i understand that because it, it is kind of a weird book to get through part of my other problem is that god forgive me i don't like the way a lot of the characters look mm -hmm. uh close has a very unique art style and it works for him but some of the characters were just very ugly and i don't yeah. know if he was designing that on purpose or not you have the character um Melora, I believe her name is, mm -hmm. who shows up periodically to talk to the girls and everything. But the way she's drawn, she looks like the world's worst character of Jackie Onassis. <laughs> In the movie, she's really pretty. Yeah, she's very pretty. And I get the idea she's supposed to be pretty and popular and friendly. Because Lord knows I knew a lot of girls like that who were just like, hey, how are you? And I'm like, we're not technically friends. You're just being nice because that's just who you are. <laughs> so I, 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 I see where they're going with her. But it's very hard to get the idea until you really get through the book and you think about so who was the Melora character. You mm -hmm. have, um, you know, Josh is supposed to be the guy they're both dreaming over and how cute he is. But he's very generic looking and it's a little hard to tell. It's like, what about him makes him so good looking? You know, and then you have the one uh, anti-Semi-jerk <laughs> character who <laughs> I don't know what the hell was going on with his uh, design with the, the stretched face, the giant nose, and those huge front teeth. It, it, it looked like he had an upper lip. Like that's, mm -hmm. You know, it, yeah. it, it was kind of hard to get through. You know, and, and Mark, we've talked before about how we've read a lot of comic books and a lot of indie comics on this show where you appreciate a unique take on from the artists on how they want their characters to look but if it doesn't appeal to you personally you're gonna have a hard time reading the book yeah i have the book here and i'll um i i'll kind of show it on screen here this is another problem i had with this book is that it's not black and white it's teal black and white and technically it it's it's monochrome it is okay and it was <sighs> It was a little hard to read because, you know, everything's kind of the same two or three colors. And you're right. And a lot of the a lot of the facial shapes, a lot of the looks of the characters. I have it too. I know exactly what you're talking about. Are are, are just not pleasant to look at. We we went through that with another one of these comics where like I want to say it was like means like the boys or something, or something we talked about where it was like we oh, it was um it was uh sandcastles. Where sandcastles? Oh right! Oh god! Yeah. Oh god! Uh, why do you have to put that back <laughs> in my head? I, uh, I, no more it's, M Night Shyamalan. It's hard to tell characters apart, and they look ugly, and so it's like it's not a pleasant read aesthetically. Um, and, and I don't want to trash the book entirely because I see its value. Um, I think, I, I, I think if you're a writer and you're like, I want to speak to teenage girls. I want to be a voice for them, and I want them to identify with this story. I want to see. I want them to be able to see themselves in this narrative. I think that's where the the, the book has value, and I think the and, and and I certainly knew a lot of girls like that, and you know, and I, I remember even being you know a teenager being very cynical, you know, and you uh, cynical teenager, nah, yeah, I, I you, know you were um, captain of the pep squad, and you know it. So like. I get, 
So like I said, I, you know, for, for those people, it's funny, we were talking about this with my, my son, when you are so much smarter than everyone around you, and you just find yourself saying like, gosh, I'm surrounded by idiots all the time. And you're finding a way to interact with the world to where you're not driven crazy or depressed. Um, books like this, you know, are good, are good for those people. You know, they's like, oh, th this is a way of saying I'm not alone. But as just a purely pleasurable read, like I said, and, and we'll go final remarks on this and then we'll move on. You know, I kept waiting for something to happen. And I'm just not that interested in two girls cattily going, oh, my God, it's Satanists over there. We should follow them, you know, or what they do to the poor guy who, you know, who in the movie is played by Steve Buscemi, where uh, he leaves a um, an ad in the paper to meet up with a woman. And they, you know, and they prank him and they say it's that, you know, it's her. And he ends up being stood up, obviously. Like, you're kind of shitty people. And I, and I don't enjoy reading about you. There is something to that. I kind of had an epiphany while I was reading this book, if you can believe mm -hmm. it. The epiphany is not that we need to play fetch. Sorry. Uh, she was calm. And then she saw me get out the microphone. And then it was like, oh, it's playtime now, right? Because Lord knows, Mark, she hears your voice. And then it's like, oh, okay, now I get to get on camera. Again, I was very cynical growing up, but I started thinking more about how they talk about the other girls, and I realized teenagers all want something to hate. Mm -hmm. Every teenager, even the non-cynical ones, even the popular ones, they want to make fun and hate the unpopular kids. Teenagers are so driven by their hormones, the confusion and everything, that what they want more than anything, even though they don't realize it, is they need to get out their emotions by hating something. Looking for every something to rebel against. Yeah, every teenager wants something to rebel against, wants something to hate, wants something to say, I'm better than this. Yeah. I think it's a part of the national growth, Jeff, of, uh, you know, of one's personality is, you know, you don't ha you don't have one early on in, in as you're growing up. And then you start to develop an identity as you get older um, and you start and, and in the beginning, you pull that identity from your parents, you know, and your, your family. And then you get to be a teenager, you know, 13, 14, 15. And this is where you're trying on different hats and you're trying to figure out who you are. And in many cases, you're running up a down staircase. You're running away from your parents. It's like whatever it is that you grew up with, you're rejecting it because you, you are trying to desperately find your own personality and your, your own uh, perspective on, on life. And I think that definitely comes out in the characters in this book, that they are, um, you know, they are doing the thing where they are rejecting the small town. So, you know, because, you know, they, they're so much bigger than this. But what you realize in the narrative is, <laughs> is how, so, how small they actually are. What do you think, Jeff? Well, I mean, they, but they never defined that. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, they never, like, it, they, there's never, like, any kind of eureka moment where, like, any of the characters reach some kind of, like, highlight in, like, their journey mm -hmm. or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, some epiphany. Yeah. Like, not, you know, like, they, they, they have no goal. Like, they, they, mm -hmm. like, there's no, like, um, you know, uh, like, I mean, at least, like, when you read, like, Marvel comics, like, you know what what's going on with Captain America and the Captain America comic book. You know what I mean? Right. Like he's got a goal. You know, like um, but like I I just don't relate at all to like this this like um, like you were talking about Mark about how there's like how there's no plot. I mean mm -hmm. I relate I relate more to the, the movie than I do to like the um the book um just because like I, I do better with like the actual 
seeing the physical act, you know, acting and act, you know, yeah. and and the characters as people and everything. And I feel like um, they're almost like nihilistic, like at least like um, uh, what's her name? Um, is it Ida? Um, Enid. 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 She seems almost like nihilistic to some extent. Like mm-hmm. she doesn't really care about anything, like really, or isn't all that interested in anything. Well, I think that's a, a very valid point that you're making, Jeff. And we'll we'll end with this, and then we'll move on in the movie. Okay, I if, think- I, if I actually, if I can jump in, Mark. Um, I agree with you, but I think that's kind of why it appeals so much to younger mm-hmm. audiences, because so many teenagers are kind of nihilistic. They're confused. They don't really know what's going right. on. I feel yeah. that this appeals because not every person comes to an epiphany, and they sure a lot of people sure as fuck don't come to epiphanies when they're teenagers. I wish to God I had had more epiphanies when I was a teenager, and I didn't waste like so many years screwing up so many things because I didn't have life figured well, out yet. This almost has like a dr- a, tra- a tragic dramatic structure in that you have one character who just sort of re- you have t- you have characters who in the beginning are sort of rejecting everything around them you know, and are trying to ascend, they both fail. One just sort of accepts her lot in life and gets the, you know, and goes to the boyfriend and decides she's just going to make a life of it here in town. And that's Rebecca. And then you have Enid who decides she's just going to run away. Like both of them fail. <laughs> you know, they, they both, they both fail to make anything to, to ascend to anything that they had been talking about in the beginning of the book. Um, and the movie is, is somewhat the same thing. Uh, but but that's but that that's sort of the structure of the book here is that and and, and it is interesting it's because you rarely see sort of the unhappy tragic ending uh, in in a lot of stories this one sort of brave in that respect like I said you have Enid who who runs away and decides she's just going to tr- start all over again and try to be a new person and then you have Rebecca who's like ah eh, I'm just going to kind of give in here it's funny I was I wrapped up watching The White Lotus on, on HBO earlier today, and there's a character that does something very similar. She has a choice to be the trophy wife or to be her own person, and out of sort of fear and anxiety and comfort, she chooses to be the trophy wife. And she and her line is, "I'm I'm going to be happy. I'm 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 going to be happy," which I thought was an interesting take. Uh, before we move on, I just want to talk about one of our sponsors here, and that is Grammarly. Grammarly's AI. Uh, powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. Do download Grammarly today. Go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, it's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. All right. So let's get to the real exciting part of this. Ghost World the Movie, starring... Uh, Thor Burt, Scarlett Johansson, Brad Renfro, and Steve Buscemi. And this came out uh, in 2001 and won all kinds of awards. This thing um, or nominated, yeah, won some awards, nominated for awards, was a runner-up. This uh, apparently very well received. And the plot goes like this. Uh, best friends, Dean and Rebecca, face the summer after their high school graduation with no plans for their future other than to find jobs and live together. The girls are cynical social outcasts, but Rebecca is more popular with boys than Enid. Enid's diploma is withheld on the condition that she attend a remedial art class. This is not in the book. Even though she is a talented artist, her art teacher, Roberta, believes that art must be socially meaningful and dismisses Enid's sketches as nothing more than light entertainment. I wanted to strangle this character with every (laughs) fiber of my being. Enid or the art teacher? The art teacher. Okay, we'll talk about that. (laughs) 
The girls see a personal ad in which a lonely middle-aged man named Seymour, played by Steve Buscemi, asks a woman he met recently to contact him. Eden makes a prank phone call to Seymour, pretending to be the woman and inviting him to meet her at a diner. The two girls and their friend Joss secretly watch Seymour at the diner and make fun of him. Enid soon begins to feel sympathy for Seymour, and they follow him to his apartment building. Later, they find him selling vintage records in a garage sale. Enid buys an old blues album from him, and they become friends. She decides to try to find women for him to date. Enid has, meanwhile, been attending her remedial art class, and she persuades Seymour to lend her an old poster depicting a grotesquely caricatured black man, which was once used as a promotional tool by the Coon Chicken Inn, the fried chicken franchise now known as Cook's Chicken, where Seymour works in corporate. Enid presents the poster in class as a social comment about racism, and Roberta is so impressed with the concept that she offers Enid a scholarship to an art college. But, you know, like like what happens on the regular. Yeah, I'm, like I mentioned that before the show, it's like, you mean I could have gotten a, scholarship, a full scholarship to art school just by showing a poster so I found in the trash? Yeah, that's how that works. Yeah, Seymour- Ugh, I took the hard way to get into art school. Seymour receives a phone call from Dana, the intended recipient of his personal ad. Enid encourages him to pursue a relationship with Dana, but she becomes unexpectedly jealous when he does so like you do. Enid and Rebecca's lives start to diverge. While Enid has been spending time with Seymour, Rebecca starts working at a coffee shop. Enid gets a job at a movie theater so she can afford to rent an apartment with Rebecca, but her cynical attitude gets her fired on the first day. The girls argue, and Rebecca abandons the idea of living with Enid. When Enid's poster is displayed in an art show, school officials find it so offensive. How offensive did they find it? They found it so offensive that they forced Roberta to give her a failing grade and revoke the scholarship. Because that's what happens. Enid turns to Seymour for... I just want to say about that. I, normally I get irritated when we when we stop the plot synopsis. But, man, I remember back when I lived in New York, there was an art piece called Piss Christ. Which was, which was a, um, a cross that was uh, put in a jar of urine. And this thing sat prominently in the Brooklyn Museum of Art. It (laughs) stretches credulity just a bit. I'm just saying. Um, Moving on. Um, uh, He unsuccessfully tries to contact Enid, only for Rebecca to tell him about Enid's prank phone call, describing the way they mocked him at the diner. Seymour is upset and goes to the convenience store where Josh works. Another customer ends up in a violent confrontation with Seymour, resulting in his being injured and hospitalized. Enid visits him in the hospital to apologize. After everything that has occurred, Enid gives into her childhood fantasy of running away from home and disappearing. She has seen an old man, Norman, continually waiting at an out-of-service bus stop for a bus that will never come. Finally, as Enid watches from across the street, Norman boards an out-of-service bus. The next day, while Seymour discusses the summer events with his therapist, Enid returns to the bus stop and boards the out-of-service bus when it arrives. A post-credit scene shows an alternate version of Seymour's scene in the convenience store in which he wins the fight and is not in. All right, I'll go to you first, uh, Jeff. What were your thoughts on this film? Well, I, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty. I was pretty happy with it overall. I mean, uh, by the end of it, like I, I, um, I walked away from it feeling positive towards it. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the same time, the same, some of the same, you know, um, tropes that we discussed a moment ago with the 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 plot of the the book, it, it are the are are the same issues that like uh, pop up in the movie, you know, um, kind of the same thing with Enid, with the, the character with with Thora Birch. I don't know if it was the way she p- portrayed the character or if that it, it was how it's supposed to be, but um, she. Um, she made no sense to me 
Like okay. I didn't get like what her premise was with anything. You know what I mean? Like I never could connect with her as a character and understand like, what are you upset about? Or like, what are you down about? Or like, what's, you know, like I, I could never really figure that out um, with her. Uh, and like, I felt like um, they really portray with Rebecca in the movie, this like that she seems responsible at least and like wants to like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, progress in life to some extent, you know, and like, well, you should get a job and, you know, like we should get an apartment together and like reminding, you know, Eden like, you know, about it over and over again and everything. Um, and like, I don't know, like, I mean, is, is the whole point supposed to be that like, again, she's like a nihilist and like, she tried to work for a day and she got fired the first day at her job at the movie theater or whatever. And, um, like, it's all a big, like, F you to like the world or something. Like, I don't know, but, um, I don't really understand what the mess, maybe cause I'm, I don't know. Cause I'm watching it at this age. Maybe if I'd watched it when I was like, Alex said, like a junior in high school or whatever, or a senior or whatever, I, I probably would have felt differently about the movie, but like mm -hmm. watching it now, I felt like, what's the point? Like, again, like the lack of plot almost like, you know, mm -hmm. like at least like with the, the, the Steve Buscemi Enid relationship in the film that gives you something to like connect to and bond to like, it, you know, and like gives the film kind of some purpose and whatnot. Yeah. But then the, the way that they like the way that they wrap that up with them, like, like having sex, which was kind of weird because she's 18 and he's like 40 something years old or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm telling you right now, I'm, I wouldn't do that with an 18 year old girl, but like. That's just me, but like um, that was kind of weird. I can remember seeing this this movie coming up, like when it came out back in the day, and thinking to myself, "Why is Steve Buscemi like making out with this like Thor <laughs> Like this is crazy. Like did she have to sign some kind of waiver or something like to be to do that stuff?" But um, yeah, that's basically it. I mean, uh, it, it at least with the movie, I I like I understood what was going on the, for the most part. With the, the book, I was confused by, like, some of what was going on at times. I didn't really understand some of the characters and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, I guess, again, you've got to look at it with the lens of, like, the fact that it came out in 2001. I can see why it was successful back then. Sure. I think what the movie does exceptionally well, and I like this movie a lot. Um, I like this movie a lot more than I like the book. And here's why. The book alludes to the fact that Enid is in some ways psychologically damaged. She self, um, she self sabotages, you know, she, uh, she does not allow herself to be successful, but I don't think the book does the world's best job of portraying that the movie. That is the movie. This is, this is the movie about how Enid has every opportunity in the world to better herself and will always make the wrong choice just she psychologically compelled to um done so out of anxiety whatever the reasons are i think you know the thing that comes across to me about the enid character alexis is how much of her cynicism and as jeff keeps saying uh, her nihilism is a cover for her own insecurities and those insecurities cause her to not just damage her own life but the lives of everyone around her you know rebecca ends up cutting her off because she's trying to move, you know, move upwards and onwards with her own life, such as she can. Um, but even there, you know, she uh, she's moving in with her. She's not moving in with her. But the real big one is what she does to Steve Buscemi. She wrecks this guy's life. She's in, she's like an atom bomb, and those all come out of her own 
psychological damage. Agreed. I think it's also the idea of somebody discovering for the first time in their life when their actions actually have consequences. Mm -hmm. Again, this is something I think a lot of us went through when we were teenagers. The first time we got fired from a job, the first time something that we wanted that we thought we, we always thought we'd get, we don't get and we don't know what to do. And you see that it, throughout the movie, especially with her art school. We know she's a talented artist, but she has to take this remedial art course. And it's pretty clear. Originally, she took it because she just didn't give up. You know, she didn't care about school. But now she's at odds with her teacher because this crazy ass art teacher thinks that uh, all art needs to be socially meaning. And when she shows her her doodles, which are good, very good, apparently mm -hmm. uh, not done by clothes, but done by the daughter of R. Crumb. If you can oh, believe it. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Uh, uh, the director had previously done a documentary on Crumb and he actually contacted Crumb's daughter and said, uh, you know, they were like, why don't we have clothes do and it'd be a nice Easter egg. And the director said, no, we need a female artist to draw these. Huh. So she's the one who did it. She's very talented, but the teacher dismisses it as light entertainment. So that's one of the reasons she brings in that poster is that she's basically saying, fine, this is what you want. I'll give it to you. And then when things start to fall around her and she's getting upset, that's when she, you know, does decide to try to go for the art scholarship. She's like, well, I hope it's not too late because she's finally starting to feel like things are not going to go the way I wanted them to, the way I always thought they would. Crap, I got to scramble now to try to pick myself up or I'm just going to fall flat on my back. See, I took it a little bit differently. I, I feel like she starts to grasp at things like the art school or moving in with, with Rebecca because she's, there's a great line from the White Lotus. Um, she the, There's a line said about a character and I think it applies to Enid as well. It's not that you want anything. You just want more than the next person to you. And I feel like that's Enid where it isn't so much that even she wants a job and she wants an apartment or she wants to go to art school. It's that she doesn't want anyone else to have more than she does. You know, she doesn't want Rebecca to be more successful than her. She doesn't, you know, she, um, the Steve Buscemi character was sort of a fun play thing, but then when he starts to have a relationship, she's like, well, we can't have that happen because then what about me? And then once he breaks it off with Dana and they end up sleeping together, she's like, oh, well, I don't need this anymore. You know, and it's not said outright, but it's definitely implied in the in the subtext. And and that is all damage. That is, that is all a variety of personality disorder and anxieties and whatnot. And I think that's what, you know, I, I always I do so much of, you know, media commenting through these podcasts. I, I forget to remind people that I'm a licensed social worker, you know, who deals in psychology and these things appeal to me. And so I think that was the hook for me with this was she's such a broken person and she's so you know and she's as jeff was pointing out she's um she, she's so negative but um you you want her the the hook with her is you want her to figure it out and get better you know and just like the book and, and we can start comparing the book to the movie now you know it ends the same way uh, as they say about Frodo, after after you know a walking three three movies to Mount Doom, he fails to just you know he fails in his mission to destroy the ring. After you go this journey with Enid, she fails, and she's like, "Screw it, I'm just going to run away," you know. And and I and I um again, I think that sort of the movie's brilliance is that it's not afraid to show you that people don't always it having a ha have a happy ending. It doesn't always work out for them.
they don't always make the best decisions. But Mark, do you feel like Thora Birch actually was like conveyed all that though? Like uh, physically, like in her acting, like, do you feel like she really pulled that off? Because I don't feel like she really, like, I don't know me personally, I'm mm -hmm. not trying to be overly critical. Um, and I like Thora Birch. I mean, at least I used to really, you know, like her when she was like active and everything and whatnot. I thought she was great in American Beauty. Um, I was going to say, what the hell happened to her? Yeah, you know what? I'm pulling up her Wikipedia page. Where did thing. she disappear to? Hang yeah, on. I, I, I didn't look it up earlier. I think I, let, let's take a moment and, do, and and play what happened to Thora Birch now because That's what I was wondering right. myself. She was yeah. in American Beauty and then she just disappeared. Yeah, I mean, American Beauty was like a, a, a massive hit. I mean, um, apparently she had a reoccurring role on The Walking Dead for a couple of years, nine episodes. Oh, my God. She was in that 2000 Dungeons and Dragons movie. Oh, God. OK, I love that movie. And I love that scene between Thor Birch and Jeremy Irons because it mm -hmm. is basically overacting versus underacting. Jeremy Irons is chewing the hell out of every ounce of scenery he's in. And it's clear he's having the most fun he's ever had in his life in this role. And I love it. I'm a huge Jeremy Irons fan. But when he's doing that scene, Thor Birch, she... Oh my god! What what was the line I heard from another reviewer? Is like she looks like she's reviewing. Her, she looks like she's memorizing her lines for Ghost World in every scene <laughs> she's in. Well, she just does not care. I she's been she's been acting. I mean, she had three movies in 2018. She had three movies in 2019, and she's had uh yeah she had a reoccurring role in The Walking Dead from 2019 to 2020 and. She's got something coming up where she's in some. It's oh, the, it's the uh, Wednesday Adams live action series yeah. that Tim Burton's directing. She, uh, she's not playing. She's playing another character named Tamara Novak. I have absolutely no idea who the hell that's supposed to be. So yeah, oh. so she's been active. She just hasn't, you know, she wasn't in a Marvel movie, so we all missed her. Yeah. Did, uh, what do you what do you what did you think about Scarlett Johansson's performance though, guys? Like, I mean, um, do you think I, did you like how she played that character and everything and whatnot? Do you feel like she out like she outacted like Thora Birch at that even at that stage? Um, let me. Uh, I'll, I'll start here and then we'll go to Alexis. I really yeah. enjoyed Scarlett Johansson in this. I think she plays the. I I think she has a uh, a charisma and a subtlety to her. To where you want her to succeed and you feel bad for her when Thora Birch's character keeps screwing her over. Um, the, my one criticism, and this kind of goes to what I was saying before about how that voice shouldn't have come out of that child at that age, you know, at you know, 20 years ago, is she's a little mumbly mouth. She's a little like she gives a lot of her line readings like you're like, could you <laughs> Jesus Christ, yell something, you know, emote <laughs> from yeah, the like diaphragm, Scarlet. I was like, I'd like to remind you, this is the actress who I think like less than two years later would get an Oscar nomination multiple times for multiple years in a row. Mm -hmm. she's no, she's the breakout actress. I, I think because she she's done stuff like Ghost in the Shell, I think it was, and the Avengers movies and shit, people are now dismissing her. But she's also she's been in like Jojo Rabbit. Uh, I believe that was her. She was in Such something a good with, role in that movie. She was Wasn't in something with George Clooney recently. She's a hell of an actress, and she gets easily dismissed because of the pop stuff that she does. But she's but to answer your question, Jeff, I thought she was brilliant in this. Go ahead, Alexis. Yeah. She was good in this. The problem is that the director and apparently close also, because since he uh, also wrote the screenplay for this, they decided to diminish her role quite a bit. There's mm -hmm. a lot of parts that in the graphic novel that she's that her character stands out. We do not see that. You know, right. they talk. I mean, in the in the Wikipedia page, they talk about how in the film she's now, uh, you know, getting into a thing with Josh. And I'm like, 
she shared like three scenes with Josh. And I right. think every scene she was with Enid. So if there was chemistry between the two of them, I sure as hell didn't see it. She is a great actress, but I think that the film does kind of falter a little bit, even though Enid and Seymour are the more interesting characters. I would have liked to have seen more of uh, Scarlett Johansson's character. If nothing else, I think that it would have been a good control group against which we could see how bad things are spiraling out of control for Enid. I think it would have been better. I mean, we see her with the coffee shop and getting the apartment, but then she talks about how she's going out with her friends. And I thought maybe we could have seen her actually hanging out with the friends. Like, well, I have to go hang out with Enid, but you know what? I want to go hang out with you guys, you know, sort of showing how she develops forward. Whereas Enid is stalling, uh, you know, just kind of paddling water. The book is more of the pair against the world until they split at the, at the end of the book. The movie is the Enid story where Scarlett Johansson's character is basically a side character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Jeff, I wanted to say something to you before, kind of going back to, you know, the Thora Birch character doesn't sound like she spoke to you the way that she spoke to me, which is fine. We're all going to have, you know, we, we all come from different backgrounds and we're all going to have different kind of antenna to, you know, to what reaches us through film and media. Um, but I, I have to say, for me, and this is just me personally, this is not an objective thing, uh, the Thora Birch character really spoke to me. And I was able to see the different nuances in her personality. And I understand what you're saying. She's not, the problems with her character are not upfront. You know, they're, they're, they're not easily recognizable. I saw them, but I can see where other people watching the movie, it might get past them. And you, you know, and you might even, and maybe this is what you were, you were saying without saying it, it might've almost been too subtle a performance to where yeah, these things are supposed to be conveying are not being conveyed. That's a well, very well put what way to explain it. That's that's exactly. I just think that she didn't really emote like mm-hmm. for me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying that it was necessary for there to be some kind of, you know, um, like seriously horrible that, you know, like shit to happen to her or something like right. that or, or that, it, you know, whatever. Um, I just mean, you know, um, I wasn't expecting her to like break down in every other uh, in every other scene. But I was going to say she's not like an Aubrey Plaza or Brittany Murphy who, when they have to play crazy gals, they're all over. They're, they're like you know Tigger. They're just bouncing all over the screen. No, she made the she still made the movie entertaining and like mm-hmm. and like fun to watch and everything and whatnot. I'm not saying I don't want to take anything away from her. Her actual performance in the in the movie was was actually really good, um, and like made it interesting. You know what I mean as a character. Uh, even though she did really screw like uh, the Seymour character hardcore, yeah, I uh, I felt really so. There's a great scene with them, and we, we can talk about this for a minute. There's a great scene where um, they're in the car, and and Sal Buscemi, uh, Steve Buscemi rather, is talking about how like he just hates people, he doesn't relate to people, he's finding it difficult to navigate the world because again, he's one of these really really smart people who just. He can't handle the fact that the world, boy, do we, boy, do we know lots of people like this, Alexis? They get mad that the world doesn't quite bend to them the way they need it to. And hired majority of those people. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Um, I'm not naming names. I'm just saying, go check the fucking roster. Um, and and so he's sort of reacting to that, and it's funny because it's a very subtle thing that she does. But Thora Birch kind of looks at him and almost has this like, is this what I sound like face? 
Like she sees herself being reflected in him. And I think that's what, what draws her to him. Number one is like, oh, good. I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. It's not just me and Rebecca who see the world this way. There's another person, too. And he's like twice our age. So I thought that was a very it was a fun scene for Steve Buscemi. And I think it was a very powerful scene for the movie, Alexis. Definitely. Steve Buscemi is such a criminally underrated actor. I know he often gets cast as like the weirdos and the, mm-hmm. you know, the outsiders and everything, but I've seen him in so many movies. He's honestly one, I think a brilliant actor. Mm-hmm. He plays so many different characters and he does so well. There's a movie I always remember with him. It's, I doubt any, very many people have seen it. It's called The Imposters. Mm-hmm. It was actually written and directed by Stanley Tucci, who's in it. And he plays this loud singer who's called like Happy. His first name is Happy. And he's suicidal. And he and it, it, it's freaking hilarious. Various times he tries to kill himself mm-hmm. while he's on because the whole movie takes place on this ocean liner back in the like I think the forties, and it's just so funny. His character is just a, I don't like laughing at suicidal people, obviously, but the way they make it so hilarious, it's really mm-hmm. well done. And he sings. Steve Buscemi is a good singer. He really is, and he actually performs a number of the musical numbers in the movie. I want to so love seeing him really get to stretch his mm-hmm. technique, so to speak. Alexis, it's something I want to talk to you specifically about. And then Jeff, you can weigh on this too, if you want, but clearly Thora Birch in presenting the Coon poster is trying to agitate the teacher. I, I that's, that's the way I read that. Like she was being passively antagonistic, you know, and, she, and, and, and when the teacher calls her, almost calls her on it. Like she has to now like, well, you brought this to class. If we're going to take this seriously, you now have to defend this thing. And she comes up with a fairly reasonable explanation. She's able to think on her feet. But it it definitely, it, it was an attack on the student next to her who did the, the tampon sculpture. You know, and, you know, and the whole idea of this teacher sort of raving about all of these wild art projects. And Thora Birch going, well, I'm going to do a very punk rock, very, you know, rebellious thing. And I'm going to bring in this poster. And, and, and I'm like, huh, you know. I'll hide behind the guise that I'm doing social commentary. But really, I just wanted to bring a racist poster in to make everyone feel uncomfortable because I hate you all. Um, I just want to get your reaction to that. Okay, there's another closed book that was also turned into a movie called Art School Confidential. Either of you seen it? I have not. Mm -mm. Very good movie. There's a scene, and I swear to God, watching this again, I've realized that that scene in particular, Close must have written that exact scene. I know that this was written by him and the director, but that scene, if you compare it to another scene in Art School Confidential, it's like, no, Close has got something to say here. There's a scene in the in Art School Confidential where the, each of the um, students in the art school have to present self-portraits. Mm-hmm. And our main character, played by um, Max Minella, I believe is how you pronounce his last name, presents this very, very beautiful, uh, it's either graphite or it's charcoal, but it's a very well done picture. And there's a bunch of different styles and there's this one girl who drew something and it looks like a five-year-old drew it very sketchy very mm-hmm. you know colored pencil very you know it's like and i color it in like this you know you know what i'm talking about sure and the students in the class all rave on it saying how different it is mm-hmm. and and then he and the the, the main character's like well, what about mine they're like yours looks like it was printed off of a computer at least hers has something unique to say about it and there's just such a frustration in that I swear to God, same thing with this, the fact that 
you know, Enid is a very talented artist, but art classes, art in general is so subjective and it yeah. is so hard to know what will please your audience. And, you know, it's very clear that Enid is trying hard with her journal. She's got talent, but what the teacher goes for is a tampon in a teacup, which probably took five minutes to put together. Hot glue, hot glue, done. Mm -hmm. And I feel that's kind of what she does with the poster is that she's trying to topple this other up and coming artist at her own game. Just saying it's like, this is a found object. And it just, I don't think she even realizes that it's going to get her the scholarship, but she is trying to play into what she knows this teacher is clearly fishing for. Mm -hmm. Again, this art teacher oh my god this was the most annoying character because i have known so many professional artists and art teachers who are like this that stupid film that she shows in the beginning i took a film course uh, it was a broadcasting course but it was a film course in college mm -hmm. and my teacher warned us on day one before we were even given any assignments he said i'm warning you now you will have to turn in student films if any of you turn in that black and white symbolism maudlin german expressionism crap i am flunking you on principle so i was i watched that scene jeff i don't know if you're familiar with the band the dead kennedys mm -hmm. you know them at all okay yeah. alexis you know the dead kennedys right mm -hmm. all right so Joe biafra who's a former singer of the dead kennedys told the story about the the thing that got their album in trouble with the government and what got them sued for distributing harmful matter to um harmful matter to minors was that they included in the album an hr geiger poster of a bunch of like vaginas it's, Ge <laughs> it's geiger all yeah. he ever drew were penises <laughs> and vaginas. that is the entire alien set as a matter of fact penises yes. and vaginas um yeah i'm sorry anyone who talks about the symbols like no it's there's no symbolism okay geiger <laughs> needed to get laid <laughs> or he got laid too much. A I little, don't know. A little frustrated. Anyway, um, but yeah, I always, but that's what I always think about. Like, I think about, like, I think um, I'm probably the Edward or uh, not, God damn it, the soup can guy. Um, Warhol. Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol. You know, people like, oh, his painting of the soup can. It's, you know, it's amazing. It was like, you know, it was, it was this like, wonderful thing. It was like a fucking soup can, man. You know, there's another one where I think it was like a white canvas and it had like a red dot on it. And it was like, but what does the dot mean? And it's like, like man, I'm not going to take away from anyone's like artistic expression. But some of this stuff, like you're saying, it's like, like that took no effort. There's no possible way you, you have a point of view with this thing that you threw some ink on and shoved it out there into the world. There's a very famous art piece for the record. What you're talking about is mostly called Dadaism, which is the idea, the school of thought where it's art but how is it art right and i know exactly how pretentious that sounded and that's what dadaism is <laughs> it's the most pretentious pain in the ass bane of existence to anyone who tries to call themselves a professional artist there's a very famous piece it's a toilet it's, it's a urinal on its side with something written on the lid mm. and that's it there's there's a famous dadaism painting it's a picture of the mona lisa and she's got like a mustache drawn yeah. on her and that's it oh my god the arguments i got into with my professors about dadaism they're just like well that's art i'm like it's crap i'm sorry it's yeah. crap um but it's it's that school of thought and i hate it with every fiber of my being and i know exactly which art piece you're talking about and i hate that too but 
<laughs> it fits into that school of thought. And whoever coined that school of thought, I wish I had a DeLorean so I could go back and shoot them. <laughs> okay. Uh, why can't I get through one podcast without one bunny, someone, someone on the panel threatening to murder somebody else? I got you Robert hired us. I got Robert threatening to murder Margot Robbie. See, Jeff, you don't you don't have to deal with this on on the MCU's bleeding edge. No one's trying to murder people on your podcast. No. <laughs> um, we're gonna wrap here. I'm gonna give you the last word, Jeff, on this film. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? No, no, I think we pretty much encapsulated. I mean, like, you know, mm -hmm. I could probably go on and talk about some different aspects of the movie and this and that, but I'd just be nitpicking at that point. Um, again, like I like I said, I enjoyed it. Like, um, it wasn't a movie that where I watched it and like I felt like, oh man, I, I spent two hours watching that. Like I didn't feel that way at the end, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So that's always a positive, you know, like that that's a good thing for me. Um, you know, uh honestly, um, I was just happy to see Thora Birch. It was like a, like a, uh, like a, uh, what's the, what's the word? It was like, um, nice, to, nice to see her again, you know, because like I was a kid when I, I remember going to the theaters to, to see American beauty in the yeah. theater when I was a kid. And like, um, at the end of the movie, everybody in the movie just like sat there and like, nobody moved. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was crazy for like a it's full It's one of like, those movies that, do, that does that to you. you yeah. Know, like full, it, you need a minute to let everything sink in before you like can a process. Two or three minutes where nobody moved in the theater and like people were like crying and everything. You know what I mean? And like, mm -hmm. whatnot, and like, it was really deep. Like, uh, that's the only time, other than like at the MCU films, that's the only other time I've been to a movie theater and I've seen that happen. Uh, Passion of the Christ for me. Um, I saw The Passion of the Christ three times and, and I'm not particularly religious one way or the other but i went to go see the passion of the christ three times with actually three different groups of people and i remember at the end of every one of at the end of every screening of the passion of the christ that i saw people just like you're saying just didn't move just kind of sat there and like they needed a few minutes to compose themselves before they exited the theater like I, for, good bad or indifferent however you feel about mel gibson's passion of the christ that is a rough watch i can't yeah. watch it i hmm have anxiety and uh, depression sometimes. And I was warned actually by someone who we work with, Mark, mm -hmm. who went to go see. And I was like, do you think I'd seen him? Like, if you go see this, you're going to be in a funk for two weeks and you're going to be curled <laughs> up in the closet and I'm going to have to deal with that. So no, don't go see it. All right, uh, Alexis, anything else about Ghost World you want to talk about? I will say this before you, you know, my last words. I'm glad I watched this. I'm glad, Jeff, this was what this was on your list. Um, it's, it's, it's one of those we're now thinking back to it as like, oh, th as a film person, this is something that I should have watched. Um, and I was glad to have read the book and compared it to the movie, and I thought this was a worthwhile discussion. Um, this has got no rewatchability for me, though. This is one of those where I checked it off the list, and I'm like, okay, on the shelf you go. And I said that ex I said those exact same words about the new Iron Maiden album, where it's like, I'm glad we did this, on the shelf you go, <laughs> never to be rewatched again. I'll give you the last, last word, Alexis. I am glad I saw this. It was uh, available free on Prime Video, so I didn't have to pay renter's fee for it because, yeah, it's good, but it's not one I really think I want to revisit anytime soon. But it has given me more of an interest in closed work. I highly recommend checking out Art School Confidential, both the book and the movie, if you were a fan of this. Like I said, the man is incredibly talented. His work is really good. So, yeah, I, I think it's good to that it open up doors to more of his work. So there's a lot of blues uh, in the movie that gets played and a little bit of punk rock here and there. I actually got a kick out of the, you know, hey, you got to look like you got to spruce it up a bit. You got to look like a yuppie. And the next thing she does, because she's oppositionally defiant, 
his entire hair green <laughs> and she's walking around that conversation she has in the, i think it's the record or the comic book store where they're making fun of her uh punk rock bona fides i laughed hard at because boy was that the first half of my 20s but um if you're in <laughs> you're into the music in the movie that uh that gets played you just want to listen to some blues or punk rock we are giving away free 30 days of the amazon music unlimited uh service you go ahead and click the link at amazonmusic.com slash w2m network fill out the sign up process you get a free 30 days on us to stream unlimitedly all you like and then at the end of that 30 days if you like it you keep it if you don't you cancel no fuss no muss no contracts no pains in the butt Get amazonmusic.com slash W2M network for a free 30 days of the Amazon Unlimited service. All right, Jeff, plug time, plug tune in. You are uh, in the middle of your weekly what if uh, reviews currently, yes? Yes, yep. Um, and you can always find us at the MCU's bleedingedge.org. Um, that is our website and it has all of our, our full podcast episodes and uh, snippets of like the YouTube videos and stuff like that. But yeah, we're doing what if. Uh, weekly. Uh, we just got done reviewing episode five. So we're going into episode six next week, I guess. Um, so uh, the last episode was really good. We talked about that. Um, we really enjoyed reviewing that. Um, and I'm sure I'll probably be seeing Alexis on there again sometime, probably shortly. So, I mean, if, if, the do if her dogs could just be this good on like the MCU's bleeding edge, we'd be great. Oh, yeah. oh this level of squeaking and barking is okay. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, it's like, I can't lock them in another room. I can't be in one room and lock it because Cleo will scratch at the door and she will cry. And then I'll send you the bill for the repairs to the wow. door frame. Jeff, the other thing you guys are doing is a survey of the MCU Infinity Saga. I think yeah. the last thing you did was the Hulk and what's the next one up is what, Thor? When you're done with What If? We, we did Iron Man 2 as well. Um, okay. so we got Thor coming up um, and we've got um, the Avengers. Um, and that's going to be um right in between what if and the hawkeye disney plus series in uh november okay yeah all right um so we'll be we'll be back into that and i'll be bringing you around for that too you know i don't know how it's going to work out maybe we might end up doing like two shows or something like that for the avengers because again like you I'm, are a diva. I'm a diva when you have mark rattledge on your show yeah I everybody know. else has to go away it just has to be me and you and maybe cybernetic shark but i yeah. need special treatment sir no we'll, we'll definitely we got to reduce the uh roster down to like four people at the max or something like that you know what yeah. i mean Yep, Alexis will tell you, I've, I've had to do a hard cap on our shows. Like, I'll have shows like Venom or Halloween or something where everyone comes out of the woodwork. What was it? Oh, uh, Candyman. That was one where I literally had to split it into two different reviews because I had 97 people that wanted to talk about it. And Oh, I, ha yeah. I, I have to skip the, the Venom 2 review because we have too many people who want to do it. <laughs> and I've got a gamer, world record, uh, former world record speed run holder, current world record points holder, for the Sega Genesis Maximum Carnage game. And well, you're I, on the you're on the Venom Two review. I you're thought on, I wasn't on, on that because no, you're on. No, no, no. It's you, Jason, me, and Rob. Is damn you is the damn oh, you Hollywood for Venom oh, Two? Okay, okay. Sorry, uh, when we were I, when you guys were discussing this, I had to mute the chat because I was out of dinner with friends, and mm -hmm. I guess I missed some of the. No, what I was telling you was I couldn't have your friend on unless he wanted to jump okay. into the the second round table that came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, and 
he appreciates the offer, but he doesn't really feel like jumping in, basically jumping in with the sharks without me there. I understand. All right. Go ahead and let him know uh, what kind of jewelry and where you're selling on that. Honeysuckle Rose Creations, fashion meets phantom, but the intersection of geek and chic. A couple of things coming up. Number one, we're doing some new products. I'm working on a few redesigns. I am redesigning our famous uh, Legend of Zelda-themed Scrabble Tile Charm Bracelet. I also call it the It's Dangerous to Go Alone. Take this bracelet. We're putting in some new items and adding some updated art styles to that. Number two, we are going to be leaving next week for Cincinnati Comic Expo. It is our last show of the year. Oh, so excited. I love Cincinnati. It's always so much fun. I got to see Adam West, uh, actually, at the show there a couple of years ago. I didn't get to meet him, but I saw him there. <laughs> so really excited about that one. We always have a blast. Looking forward to it. Uh, we did just wrap up our Labor Day sale, but God help me, we're getting ready for the holidays. <coughs> we're going to be getting ready for the big Black Friday sale that is going to be coming up here before too long. We also have had a couple of, I wouldn't call them conventions, but they're little one-day shows that have been popping up here in the fall. Uh, the Found City Minicon that we did a couple of months ago, it looks like they're actually working on having a few more of those one-day events uh, here in the near future. So I'm talking with them, seeing if we could get a table there. I will let uh, you guys know via Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram on where we'll be heading next after that. In the meantime, of course, uh, our shops are fully stocked on Etsy and handmade at Amazon. And like I said, be on the lookout here in the next few weeks. We will be adding new products. We will be adding some new designs of some old products. Because if I don't design something at least once a month, I get itchy. But again, that's uh, Honeysuckle Rose Creations, intersection of geek and chic. All right. We just want to remind you to wherever you found this, um, we are available on all your favorite podcatchers. And there's a wherever you're finding this, if you this is not your preferred and you want to know where you can find us on your preferred podcatcher, there's a link in the description to our link tree with everywhere in the world that we're available. Uh, please subscribe. That way you get all the new shows. And, you know, if you like our stuff, uh, there's also all the other W2M shows like Soccer to the Max, The Kickoff, Video Games to the Max, and all 97 Rattledge and Broadcasting Network shows that we do. Plus audio extras. We had the aforementioned uh, Extra Roundtable that Alexis was on for Candyman. My wife and her friend did an audio-only extra doing a feminist perspective on Black Widow. And we're going to be doing a lot more of that in the future because apparently uh, the nice little the nice little organization that I had for the Rattle Legend Broadcasting Network went right out the window and I've got people coming on left and right. So we're going to be doing a lot more extras, roundtables, first reactions, stuff like that. And, that's, uh, and you'll miss it if you're not subscribed. So like, comment, and subscribe, especially if you're an Apple user. We have one comment, one, on Apple, and it just says, what the heck? Someone else make a comment. I don't care if it's a recipe for rabbit stew. Just comment something else. And on that note, um, check out the rest of our great shows this week. We reviewed Iron, the new Iron Maiden. We reviewed Chang-Chi. Uh, we reviewed, uh, there's a review up from uh, James Wan's Malignant Man. So that's all in the archives uh, for you to listen to. Plus, for you wrestling fans, myself and Chris Bailey, the uh, the modern day Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura of Wrestling Podcast, me and him, we reviewed AEW's All Out. All right, for Jeff Sloboda of the MCU's Bleeding Edge, for Alexis Haina, I'm Mark Rattledge. Be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>